Hi, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Schoolhouse Rocks. I am here joined by one of my esteemed colleagues, Jeff Fashina, the high school math supervisor at Roxbury, as well as Dr. Eric Milo, who is a professor of mathematics instruction and learning at Rowan University. I probably didn't give him the right title, so I'll give him an opportunity to correct the record there. Um, so I'm going to ask you guys to introduce yourselves. And today, our topic is going to be what math education could be. Um, and we're going to talk a little bit about the journey we put students on, not here, only here in Roxbury, but just kind of historically, that designs and develops uh, an intended and sadly too frequently unintended attitude about math and how it connects with students' ability and their future. So that's kind of the conversation topic today. So gentlemen, would you just please introduce yourselves and we'll get rolling. Uh, yes, thank you. Uh, Dr. Eric Milo, I'm a professor of mathematics at Rowan University. I've taught at Rowan. This is my 27th year now. I travel the country talking about reforming math education. And my latest book, if I can plug it, please, is Invigorating High School Mathematics, published by Heinemann, with the co-author of Stephen Leinwald from uh, Washington, D.C. area. Okay. I'm Jeff Fashina. I'm the supervisor of mathematics here at Roxbury School District for grades 7 through 12. I don't have my own book to plug, but I will plug Eric's as well. I've read it myself, and it's a fascinating book and gives a lot of great ideas for teachers to use in the classroom. All right, so let's get started. Um, in that kind of mindset of Eric's new book, Invigorating High School Math, let's kind of start at the very beginning, um, because whether you're listening because you're the parent of a student here in our school district or just the parent of a student anywhere, um, it is too frequently the case that students unintentionally, I would hope, but sometimes intentionally learn that math is, quote, not their thing, or they are not a math kid, or they aren't sm math smart. Um, and so what we've been trying to work is to, to debunk that unintentional math attitude that is a negative outlook about students' potential to be successful in mathematical spaces um, early at the elementary level because during that journey, trying to break it down and reconvince students that they can, in fact, be successful in math, that math does have a valuable place in adult life, uh, is really a challenging um, journey to take through the middle level and then to high school and then what we're really going to more talk about with that invigorating high school math is part of the problem that kind of just continues to contribute, which is the lack of interesting programming at the high school level. Um, typically, high schools offer a program where every student is someplace on the journey towards calculus. Um, and so today we're also going to discuss the appropriateness of that and how maybe shifting that attitude and that mindset can help, as Eric put it in the title of his book, reinvigorate the title Invigorating High School Math. So how can the the alteration of that program and that attitude change? So gentlemen, I'll pass it to you. Kind of how do we start uh, invigorating high school math? Is it students? Is it teachers? Is it parents? Like where's the beginning and how do we start making progress there? Yeah, so there's two aspects here. There's the mathematics curriculum and of course there's mathematics instruction. So break it down first and start with the latter. Start with instruction. Math instruction in this country, especially if you ask my college kids, and I ask them all the time the first day of class in college, how is mathematics instruction? And the overriding answer, majority of students will answer that with just one word. Gentlemen, what do you think that one word is? I'm going to say lecture. I'm going to say boring. And boring ah, is exactly right. correct. Hold on, hold on, hold on. i got to find the applause button. There it is. All right. So boring is exactly the right answer. That was not rehearsed, by the way. 
Um, overwhelming majority of students reflect upon their high school math experiences as absolutely boring. If you dive deeper into that, it is nothing but me sitting down in a desk, watching a teacher do example one, example two, example three, and then me having to mimic those examples back to the teacher during the rest of the class or for homework. That style of instruction has been in this country for tens, 20, 30, if not 100 years. But given the technological advances in today's world, mimicking what the teacher does in a classroom needs to end when students can quickly see a video or Google the answer to a problem and see how it's done very, very quickly. Mathematics curriculum, I'm sorry, excuse me, mathematics instruction needs to be experiential. It's the word that permeates colleges now, experiential education. The kids are experiencing the mathematics by doing something, by not just sitting in a desk, listening to a teacher, and then mimicking what the teacher has said. Experiential education runs the gamut, not just in mathematics, by the way. It's crucial in engineering in college. It's crucial in all the sciences in college. The kids have experiences, and from that, they build their knowledge base. The knowledge doesn't come from the professor or the teacher. The students construct their knowledge through experiential learning. So I just want to jump in because you said something that we've been talking a lot about here with the technological advances. I mean, one of the things that has education abuzz these days, whether you're an educator, a student, or a parent, is kind of the question of how the emergence of AI is going to impact education. And one of the things we saw come out during COVID was um, students really relying on photo math. Um, to do the thinking for them. And it is a true reality that some of the answer to how do we combat that is don't work to combat it, work to create an experience that students can have where they internalize and understand why ma learning math is important and how it applies to their life, right? So in other words, stop asking boring questions. So I know, Jeff, you've done a lot of work to try and help lead that charge. Let's talk about that. Yeah, so, I mean, a lot of the help actually has been with Eric here. Um, I follow him on Twitter. I follow, I've gone to a lot of conferences and worked with him. Uh, and the amount of resources that are available to teachers nowadays, it's actually like some, you know, making me a little bit jealous of the times when I was in the classroom. Um, you know, there's plenty of websites, plenty of plugs to put here, but it's an opportunity for students to really just have access to the mathematics, right? Uh, we talked about today, actually, at a PD uh, session with some of our teachers here at Roxbury. We got to change the verbiage to the word create, having the kids create more mathematics as opposed to solve, uh, identify, and all those other uh, kind of like lower level ver verbs, right? Create kind of brings you uh, higher onto that depth of knowledge where the students are coming up with their own equations given stipulations. The students are coming up with their own graphs. The students are coming up with their own tables. And a lot of that, it's not, it, it combats the photo math, but it also makes the kids think more, right? And presenting those kinds of opportunities for the kids to work in. When it also, and Eric, I saw you do a presentation a couple months ago for our local curriculum group. And in there, you even started with some math experiences that the group got to enjoy. And I say enjoy, like I enjoyed it as a math, <laughs> as a former math teacher. Um, but there was no right answer but it led to an incredible amount of dialogue. So you started by having them experience what it's like to not rely on the right answer to experience math. That's correct. And this is the segue from instruction now to the curriculum, is that our mathematics curriculum is still stuck in a 100-year-old pattern in America. 
We are stuck in the pattern of algebra, geometry, and algebra 2 for all students, including many, many obsolete algebraic skills that are now done by technology, including ChatGPT. We reflect that using these tools are often cheating. In fact, I don't know where anything else in the world we use a tool and it's called cheating. We need to examine more closely why the curriculum has stayed the same for 100 years and what changes we need to make in the curriculum, given that these tools are now out there. Does an obsolete algebraic curriculum still necessary for all kids? What are the emerging branches of mathematics that are more used in today's world? And listen, the pandemic has really exposed this more than anything. The pandemic was driven by data, by data, 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 by decisions made by superintendents, by presidents, by lawyers, by doctors, based on data. Where is the data, the statistics courses, in our high school curriculum? At Rowing, we're proud to just start this coming September, September 2023, a bachelor's degree in data science. It's the fastest growing field in all of mathematics. High schools have to be on board. High schools have to offer alternatives to an algebraic-centric curriculum. That, that, by the way, only 10 to 20% of kids will ever need calculus in college. The majority of kids need something else, need data science. So I'm going to use that to jump in and then pass the ball to Jeff. So I know that, Jeff, you've read everything Eric's provided you know, you know, on his website, his books, and you've been using that to kind of reconstruct our high school game plan right. in that same mindset. Right. And having been a former teacher of calculus, I, uh, both of us were, you know, mm -hmm. former teachers of calculus, what Eric said totally resonates with me. I remember students, I didn't have the wherewithal or the reflection ability as a teacher myself to stop and ask kids like, well, why'd you take this class? Mm -hmm. uh, and I think just from a high school standpoint, we are starting to ask that question more. We need to do it still with greater frequency, but, you know, we, to ask kids, wh where where's your life going? Right. What are your goals? How can we help you get there? As opposed to being the grown-ups who think we know better and dictating a program or course of studies to a student. And that includes a kid who's like, well, I want to try an honors course. Mm -hmm. Like, well, I'm not sure you can hack it, kid. You know, we kind of push them into a direction we think is appropriate, but why don't we ever stop and ask the kid, like, well, what do you want? Like, I don't know. I just want that experience. I'm okay getting a C. I'm going to work really hard and I'm going to be proud of my effort because I want to do this with my life and that's where my journey's going. And so I know you've been trying to work on that, including redesigning a curricular structure that aligns with what Eric just said. So talk about that. Yeah. So over the years that I've been here as a supervisor, I've been having multiple conversations with various teachers about the different pathways and ideas. And, you know, you get some kickback, you get some people in agreement and there's different discussions happening. But right now, the way our math curriculum and our sequencing is set up, it's basically you either have the road to calculus, the highway, or you have the slow back roads to calculus that just takes you multiple years to eventually get there. Right? Those back roads have a lot of potholes. Yeah, in them, right? they do. All right. So New as, as Eric said, you know, it's algebra centric, right? And that's kind of how we operate. And that statistics idea is really just reserved for an AP stats course that, you know, we don't get a ton of kids to sign up for, but it's great when we do get the opportunity. So data science is a great course. I've looked at something from uh, Joe Bowler on uCube.org uh, where the curriculum is pretty much drawn out already. And it gives the opportunity for students to interpret data, make decisions based upon it, uh, work through data and social justice. It's a variety of options and it's, it's, 
really enlightening uh, to see what's out there and see what's available and stuff. So, you know, showing kids that there's other mathematics out there and there's math that fits the life that you want to live down the road, as opposed to us, you know, jamming that square peg into the round hole in order to make you fit into the curriculum choices we have. You know, we'd rather uh, change our curriculum to meet the needs of our students. So, Eric, I just want us to also not let what you said before pass, and maybe the three of us can touch on this because it is a huge fear for teachers, not only in math but everywhere right now, is that uh, interruption in the educational space going to be created by technology. The reality is that's not new. I still remember when I was in high school back in the 90s, and uh, graphing calculators emerged. And I remember my calculus teacher went absolutely nuts because everyone is going to quote unquote, doing the air quotes here, cheat uh, by not having to hand graph anymore. Um, and so, you know, you look back to even things like Cliff's Notes and all these other kind of things that emerged, the internet for doing research. And education has slowly adapted. They've kind of been the last ones in the space. And mm -hmm. I think there's a little bit more proactive approach to this um, this disruption where people are recognizing that we're always last to the game and we don't need to be. And I think maybe embracing the mindset of what you just said before, that tools, nowhere else are tools considered cheating, right? Electrician comes to my house and uses their tools. I've never been like, hey, stop doing that. You need to do it the right way, you know, like how they did it, you know, in the olden times. So let's talk about how do we, how do we break apart that mentality that using a current tool is cheating. Yeah, you think about that. You, you went back a while about talking about different tools. Go back even further. And what's the most disruptive tool to education 100 or 200 years ago? By the way, if you had to think of the answer to that question, what do you think the most disruptive tool was to education? It was going to ruin all of education. I actually know what it was because I heard someone say this at a workshop I was in just the other day. Yeah. Pencil. It is. That's exactly right. The invention <laughs> to bingo again, by the way, not rehearsed. <laughs> it really wasn't. It's two for two. Right? I play lottery later. Right. It's the fact the invention of the pencil or more fountain ink, ink was before the pencil, uh, was going to ruin all of education because then kids wouldn't have to memorize stuff. They wouldn't have to just have it by memory. They could write it down. And that was going to ruin education. Imagine the invention of the fountain pen ink or the pencil. We're talking about the same thing when we jump forward to the calculator and the internet, and now the newest, latest things, the artificial intelligence. God, these are all tools, starting from the pencil to artificial intelligence, that people are using every day in the workforce, every single day. We as educators have to learn how to use them. But most importantly, I think we have to learn what's good use and what's bad use. There are sometimes you can use a tool wrongly. So shouldn't we talk about What's a good way to use a tool? What's a bad way to use a tool? What's a good proper use of the tool? And how should we use it in our classrooms? We tend too often just to ban, ban, ban. We want to ban these things instead of embracing them and making the changes necessary to teach kids about them because there's no place in the world where they're going to be banned from using them. We have to embrace them. ChatGPT is an amazing invention, and there's way more AI out there than just ChatGPT, by the way. But gosh, I use it every single day. I get emails, too many emails, and too many questions that I don't necessarily want to answer. I'll send the email right to ChatGPT and have ChatGPT write out the response. But my next step is crucial. I don't just hand in, or I just don't email the ChatGPT response. I look at it, 
I edit it, I make changes to it before I send it out. I don't trust the artificial intelligence 100%. I use it for more efficiency for myself and then will make edits or changes to it before I send it forward. I use the tool, but I don't trust it 100% to do my work. I check it. I edit it. Those are the skills of the future. And I love your emphasis there on using tools properly. And that, you know, if you think about any tool, let's go all the way back to kind of like one of the first ones with the wheel and stuff like that. Every time a new tool emerges, it makes life more efficient, right? We can get more accomplished in a faster, uh, faster time span. Um, But you taking the time to really talk about and emphasize using it properly, you learn to use a tool properly, really one of two ways. Um, and both of them are an opportunity for teachers. I'm going to go back to the, the plug here to invigorate math learning and learning in general. Um, those two ways that we as educators can help students learn how to use tools, this being one of them is one, actually teach them how to use it, set some parameters about responsible usage and two, allow them the space to explore with some freedom, identify some pitfalls, learn how to use it wrong, right? Like, let's do something simple. If I used a flathead screwdriver in a Phillips head screw, it would work, just not really well. There's a better tool. How do, I could tell someone, but trying it out and realizing there's a better way to do it is also an, an important experience. So educators do have a responsibility in not only providing opportunities for kids to explore these tools, to learn how to use them properly, but... We do need some explicit instruction on how to do that, right? To just kind of casually and, and uh, you know, cavalierly say like, well, you should have known, mm-hmm. right? I feel like that's kind of a reckless approach to our responsibilities as educators that are beyond the curriculum. So how, how can we structure that as we're trying to invigorate math? Because part of the thing that's challenging is we have an audience of, you know, t- teachers that teach math, not just here, but everywhere, as well as parents who learned math. In really a, the construct you talked about in the beginning, Eric, which is watch me and then do what I told you to do over and over and over and over again until you learn the algorithm, the recipe. Um, how do we help break away from that when it's so uncomfortable and unfamiliar? Not an easy question. Um, so certainly not an easy answer. Uh, to make the changes necessary, uh, it takes long-term commitment. It takes a long-term plan. Uh, it takes long-term commitment and professional development by administration and teachers. It takes buy-in. Uh, it takes discussion of all the stakeholders, from students to teachers to administration and parents, uh, to make change in education. Um, many people will say, hey, it worked for me, uh, so why won't it work for them? Uh, we have to respect that, but we also have to realize that the world is not the same as it was just 10 or 20 years ago. And gosh, can you imagine what's going to be here in 10 years from now? We can't. We couldn't imagine ChatGPT five years ago. We couldn't imagine the, the influence of artificial intelligence on the workplace five years ago. We don't know what's next, but we do have to prepare for it. We have to know that we don't live in the same world that was just 10 or 20 years ago, much less. And kids, um, kids are way more, what's the word? Uh, Way more, I, I don't want to use the word smart, but uh, I think savvy. Savvy, that was the perfect word. Yeah. Are, are way more savvy. They understand when they're sitting in a classroom and just being told facts, they realize, geez, I can just get these facts off the internet. I don't have to listen because everything these facts are being told to me, no matter what class, by the way, not just mathematics, I'll just Google it. 
I'll just get the answer that way. I don't have to listen. However, if we involve you in experience where you're not sitting, maybe, maybe when you're standing up at a board or maybe when you're involved, like they are in more of the science classes, when you're doing experiential learning, there's a completely different mindset that you are involved and that learning can occur without me just being told what to do. But these changes are not overnight changes. I think we constantly talk to school districts that it has to be a five-year path. Five-year path to reinvent curriculum and reinvent instruction with all the stakeholders involved in the conversations. And I, I like your emphasis there on the long-range plan. And I can say that Jeff's been on this journey for a couple of years now, not only trying to reinvigorate some of the structures at the high school in particular, but we've also recalibrated our curriculum to better align with the standards through the middle level. Um, this year, we're kind of rolling out a unified seventh grade pre-algebra class, um, which used to be kind of a select handful of students, uh, really in eighth grade, some in seventh grade, but more in eighth grade, which better aligns with the standards. And that journey will culminate with algebra in eighth grade, as well as a better plan in the high school in terms of these pathways Eric's talked about with a focus on data science. Mm -hmm. So um, I just want to applaud Jeff and his efforts with his teachers to really uh, stick with that commitment. Um, I want to thank Eric for being such a great partner for us. We look forward to our continued relationship with him um, because I do believe that a commitment to um, an expert like Eric and an ongoing partnership helps us um, make make the gains we're looking for in r really kind of invigorating uh, high school math. So let's let's plug that book one more time. I, <laughs> I, I do encourage people to read Eric's work, visit his website, um, read his articles, because Eric's got a, a lot of really great things to say about what math instruction should look like um, right now, as opposed to what it once upon a time looked like. So thanks, Eric. We, uh, we appreciate you joining us today. We look forward to continue to working together to make our program the best it possibly can be and, and lead the way. Thanks a lot. Thank you both.